Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. What we saw in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday was an attempted coup. We are following breaking news at this hour. Capitol Hill right now, a tinderbox. We want to go to live images coming in. These are pro-Trump supporters who have taken to the steps of the Capitol right now. It is unclear if Capitol Police are outnumbered. You can see what's happening right in front of us. We saw Capitol Police trying to push people back, hold them back, and arrest them. They did seem to be arresting some, but... I never thought I'd say that in covering Washington for over 20 years. I never thought I'd see that in the United States. I never thought I'd see a president who stood by as his supporters stormed the Capitol. Just right next to me, there is a massive amount of what appears to be blood on the ground here. Uh, one uh, Forced members of the House and Senate to evacuate and then made their way uh, into every crevice of our most important and sacred national building. Members are being told to, quote, get under the chairs in the House chamber. Um, but, but that is indeed what happened. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Ryan Lizza on the chaos at the Capitol. Yesterday was the culmination of weeks, um, though some would argue months and even years, of Donald Trump creating his own reality, inculcating his supporters with the belief that that reality is true, and then pushing them to the brink to take action when they were unhappy with uh, the outcome of that false reality. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. I love Pennsylvania Avenue. And we're going to the Capitol, and we're going to try and give... The Democrats are hopeless. They're never voting for anything. Not even one vote. But we're going to try and give our Republicans, the weak ones, because the strong ones don't need any of our help, we're going to try and give them the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. As always with Trump, it's not surprising what he did. He has been signaling this kind of behavior since the Iowa caucuses in early 2016 when he alleged fraud. Donald Trump is accusing Ted Cruz of stealing his win in the Iowa caucus. The Texas senator beat the business mogul by a little more than 3% in the Republican race. Trump argues a new election should actually be called based on Cruz's, quote, fraud. He has been signaling that the kind of Foreign leaders he worships and respects are the ones that the United States has always been at odds with, authoritarians, people who get elected through a legitimate election and then try and subvert the democratic process to stay in power. And we know the examples uh, in Turkey, in Russia, uh, and elsewhere. So none of us should be shocked about what Trump did to instigate this violence on Wednesday. What is... A little more surprising is how many Republicans, uh, well over 100 in the House, uh, at least a dozen in the in the Senate, who were in some way supporting this effort. Dozens of his allies in the House planning to object to the Electoral College count on Wednesday. Senator Josh Hawley has said he'll sign on, forcing an up or down vote on whether President-elect Joe Biden won. 
A dozen more Republican senators say they'll vote to object unless there's a commission to study the results. Um, I think there are a lot of iconic pictures from Wednesday that we will um, think of when we look back at this. A couple that stand out to me are Josh Hawley, an Ivy League-educated senator in his 40s from Missouri, someone who has an interest in running for president in 2024, uh, standing outside the Capitol um, just a little while before it was stormed and holding up his fist in solidarity with a group of people who would then uh, riot and force him to flee the building. Another image that I, I can't get out of my head as we sit here and record is of a young man in Trump gear, a 45 hat, walking through the Capitol rotunda with a lectern with the Speaker of the House's seal on it, stealing it essentially, looting the Capitol, and, and smiling for a, a Getty photographer who uh, snapped the picture. President Trump, well, rioters, his supporters, pro-Trump extremists, were in the Capitol illegally, released a video statement where he did ask the rioters to end the violence, but continued to spew false claims about the election that fueled this. What response have we seen from other American leaders? And what do you think the comparison to Trump's messaging can tell us here? As usual with Trump, he often is the arsonist and then the fire department. So he frequently creates dramas and then tries to be the person who uh, fixed the, uh, the bad situation that he created. So I think you'll see him going forward talk about how uh, after he was casualed and screamed at by staffers and pressured by the news media that he made, uh, in my view, a sort of perfunctory statement uh, asking the rioters who were ransacking the Capitol in his name to, uh, to leave the building. But even in that statement, uh, he talked about the election being stolen and how he loved them. So I think it's not a partisan statement to say that he is incapable of being the person who is going to help gain control of this situation. Um, and that was left to a certain extent to Joe Biden. I initially was going to talk about the economy. But all of you, all of you have been watching what I've been watching. In the afternoon, uh, he had prepared remarks scheduled and he went ahead with those. And of course, instead of delivering what he was going to say about the economy, um, he talked about the, the threat to democracy. At this hour, our democracy is under an unprecedented assault, unlike anything we've seen in modern times. An assault on the Citadel of Liberty, the Capitol itself. And um, called on Trump to call off these looters and rioters. And this god-awful display today bringing home to every Republican and Democrat and independent in the nation that we must step up. This came on the day that in many ways brought an end to everything involving the 2020 election, the Electoral College certification for Biden, Democratic wins in the Georgia runoffs. How do you think 
yesterday's events, the rioting, the chaos, and the political shifts will affect national politics going forward? The most important question is what do Republican leaders who know better, what lesson do they take from this? I want to speak to the Republicans who are considering voting against these objections. I understand your concerns, but I urge you to pause and think. What does it say to the nearly half the country that believes this election was rigged if we vote not even to consider the claims of illegality and fraud in this election? Ted Cruz, right before these rioters stormed the Capitol, gave a speech on the Senate floor justifying objecting to legitimate presidential election results. Recent polling shows that 39% of Americans believe the election that just occurred, quote, was rigged. You may not agree with that assessment, but it is nonetheless a reality for nearly half the country. You can argue about which politicians said what to throw more gasoline on this fire, um, but I think a lot of observers would put Ted Cruz in that camp. People would put Josh Hawley in that camp. People would put some of the other Republican senators who signed on to this effort in, the, in that camp. Is this the equivalent of being, you know, of finally touching a, a hot stove and being so scalded that they learn a lesson? And as previous leaders in our country have done, when passions run highest, uh, instead of demagoguing these issues and riling up um, the worst instincts of people, do they work to tamp them down and appeal to the, the better angels in supporters? You know, there's always going to be fringe politics and conspiratorial thinking. There's always going to be populist, anti-elite sentiment in our country, it's as old as the country, and irresponsible politicians fan the worst instincts in the populace. And this is obviously a turning point for Republicans who have made a sort of bargain with Donald Trump for the last, uh, going on five years now. And the most important question is what lesson, if any, do they learn from this? Yesterday was terrifying for a lot of people, unlike anything we've seen in Washington, in America. How will you look back on this day in the U.S.? I saw people on Wednesday, even in the afternoon, say things uh, on some political panels or on Twitter when they were talking about what happens next and using the phrase, of course, that'll never happen in America. And the biggest takeaway is that we're not all that different from other countries, that things like this can indeed happen here. I wrote something the other day for one of our newsletters, Playbook, that said the system was blinking red. And that's a term from the 9-11 Commission's investigation of the aftermath of 9-11. And George Tenet, then the CIA director, he told investigators this right before 9-11, the system was blinking red. Analysts were coming to them saying, something is coming, something bad's about to happen. And when you have 
10 living defense secretaries warning the military not to do anything to help Donald Trump's attempted coup. When you have the Chamber of Commerce warning politicians not to object to the Electoral College. When you have previously conservative columnists like George Will talking about how this is undermining democracy, very strident populist senators like Tom Cotton not even being willing to join this effort. When you have straight-laced news reporters at the New York Times like Peter Baker, who's covered Moscow, comparing this to what's going on in authoritarian countries. And when you have the presidential mood being described in news coverage as being angry that not enough politicians and his own vice president are going along with his allegations that the election is rigged, that's the system blinking red. And we saw on Wednesday that the folks who were pointing to these warning signs were 100% right in their alarm because the president of the United States, while he didn't use the military, he used essentially a militia that gathered outside the White House that he spoke to, that he encouraged to go march on Congress, and then he sat by silently while it ransacked the House and Senate. Ryan, Lizza, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. Also today, the Department of Justice says the suspected Russian hackers behind the SolarWinds cyber espionage campaign gained access to DOJ employee email accounts. In an announcement on Wednesday, a DOJ spokesperson said at this point it appears around 3% of mailboxes were affected, and they have, quote, no indication that any classified systems were impacted. The department has more than 115,000 employees, which means that the hackers accessed almost 3,500 accounts. The spokesperson says DOJ discovered the intrusion on December 24th and has since blocked the technique that the hackers used to access its email system. And a Biden transition official says the leaders of the Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed will continue working on the vaccine rollout in Biden's White House. But Monsef Slaoui, the chief scientific advisor to the government's vaccine accelerator, won't stay on for long. Slaoui will take on a reduced role as a consultant for four to six weeks before departing, Slawi previously told Politico he planned to step down by early this year, but in a call with reporters on Wednesday, he said Biden's team asked him for his help. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast app and tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.